Welcome to the AZ Politicast podcast. I'm Steve Goldstein. As we're now in 2024, that leaves us just about seven months away from Arizona's primary election. One of the most closely watched races is in CD1, where there are several Democratic candidates looking to face incumbent David Schweikert. Today, I'll be talking with Connor O'Callaghan. He started out being lesser known, but has proven to be a successful fundraiser so far. He's also running on the message of someone who grew up in the district. I'll be talking with Connor O'Callaghan in just a moment as this edition of AZ Politicast starts now. There's still a long way to go, but how does it feel with all the work you've done, all the work your team has done, you know, to get a really nice mention in this recent Lori Roberts column? I know from working with Lori, sometimes our predictions are good, sometimes they're not, but it's still great to be acknowledged that way, I would think. How did it feel to have the campaign acknowledged like that? Yeah, listen, that was that was great from Lori. So first of all, thanks for having me back on. It's it's great to be back with you. Uh, we've been in the race for for five months, and I think it's been a fantastic five months. You know, we were the first and only candidate to be on national TV. I was on Simone on MSNBC. And as you mentioned, Lori Roberts predicted me on New Year's Day to to be the winner in this primary and take on David Schweikert next November. Like you said, predictions aren't always right, but I have a, a very strong conviction that this one is and I also do want to add that I, I don't know Lori. I've never spoken to her. We've never met. So that's her organic analysis of this race, her independent thoughts. And, and I think that she's completely spot on. I think what she recognizes is what a lot of people have started to recognize. I'm from the district. I was born in Ireland, but I moved here when I was four. I grew up here. I'm a product of the public school system. I went to Chaparral High School. My wife and I are raising our boys here. They're also in public school. This is home for me. I've spent more time here than anywhere else in my life. And David Schweiker hasn't had to run against somebody local in a long time and certainly hasn't to, you know, had to run against somebody with a, you know, a knack for numbers and economics and, and somebody who can really go toe to toe with him. So I look forward to it next next November. Yeah, a few things I want to bring up to you, and I think that's a great point because uh, Representative Schweikert over the years, even as he pulls out these victories, I mean, you, he, he wins, he has won a lot. Maybe that'll change this time around, but he has, seems like his strategy a lot of the time has been to emphasize numbers, math problems. He likes to say those things and acts as though he's not wading in some of these cultural issues, which have kind of dominated the Republican Party right now. Do you think that if you're, in fact, the candidate, or even as you're getting going even more so as the primaries ramp up, that you can target him on things, not just your knowledge of of how finance and business and the economy works, but also some of these other things? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's both, right? So I think there, there's a few things. Schweikert has managed to sort of fly under the radar. And I think the reason for that is if you look at the congressional delegation that unfortunately we have here in Arizona, you know, you have Andy Biggs, you have Paul Gosar, uh, you have Eli Crane. And so I think at best, Schweikert's like the fourth craziest congressperson that we have here in Arizona. But I think from a voting perspective, he's just as extreme as those guys. But I think that we haven't shown a light on it. You know, I think that the issue in the past is, is we've tried to focus on his ethics issues. For whatever reason, voters don't seem to care. But the reality is that his voting record is extreme. So you're talking about a guy who, you know, he he somewhat craftily abstained from the certification of the Arizona election results. But he voted to decertify the election results in Pennsylvania. He voted against investigations into January 6th. He's consistently voted against veterans. He's consistently voted against women. He's consistently voted against seniors. He chose not to lower the prices of insulin because he thought you know, diabetes had already been cured. 
he is a MAGA extremist. Make no mistake about it. And it was on display most recently when he voted for Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House three times. He voted for MAGA Mike Johnson. And in the two most recent votes to shut the government, I think this is an important thing to flag. Only about 90 Republicans each time voted to shut the government. So, you know, a definite minority of his own party voted to shut the government. But sure enough, David Schweikert voted to shut the government twice. So I think we need to shine a light on, on his voting record and who he actually is, because he's just as crazy as the rest of the dele you know, Republican delegation and Marjorie Taylor Greene and all these folks. Their voting records are almost identical, uh, but he just you know kind of is, is more quiet about it. And, and we need to, to bring that to the forefront. When you and I talked a few months ago, I mean, there are certain things and certain issues that you care about that your campaign is emphasizing and will continue to emphasize. Um, have you learned more, though, even as someone who has lived in the district and grown up in the district, as you mentioned, have you heard issues from folks that either surprised you, either that they brought them up or that they were so important? Because there are these certain things that when polls are done, Democrats care more about this, this and this, Republicans, this, this and this. Usually top two or three don't overlap that much. What have you learned so far about what Republicans, independents and Democrats in your district are really caring about right now? Yeah, so I, I think ultimately, and I, I said this before, I think even on, on your podcast, ultimately it's the economy here in CD1. And I think that's another reason why Schweikert's been able to kind of skate by, because I think people here, you know, independents, moderate Republicans, I think they do care about a lot of the same issues that matter to Democrats, but they care a little bit more about their pocketbook. You know, they care a little bit more about tax rates being low, those types of things. And again, Democrats, we need to shed this whole notion that we're just like, we want to raise everybody's taxes and takes every, you know, take everybody's money. That's just not the case. Certainly not the case uh, for me. But, you know, when you bring up issues, I think, you know, you need to focus on the economy. You need to make sure we have a tax code that works for small businesses. CD1 is a small business driven district. So it's very important to always keep that in mind um, that we need to fight for small businesses and make sure that, you know, the economy is, is working for them. I think from an issues perspective, I think abortion is is going to rule the day in 2024. You know, the abortion access amendment, the the teams that are working on that, getting signatures, you know, they need 400,000 signatures. They are everywhere. So the abortion access amendment here in Arizona will be on the ballot. We obviously cannot go back to an 1864 law that was Civil War era before women could even vote. I mean, it's literally complete insanity. And so I think the, the reality of the situation is you have definitely independents and moderate Republicans that are pro-choice. And especially on the Republican side, they may be pro-life for themselves. They may be pro-life for their families. But in these conversations that you know you mentioned that I've been having, what I've realized is there's a lot of people who feel like it's not their place to impute Judeo-Christian values on everybody else. And so everybody needs to be able to make their own decision. But these are decisions unequivocally that need to be between a woman and her doctor. So I think abortion will rule the day. Um, and then there's, there's other issues that I think matter a lot to Democrats, you know, common sense, gun reform, fighting climate change and securing Arizona's water future. You know, those are things that also affect everybody. But I think abortion is going to be the issue that turns this election and and rightfully so. What's been happening on the Republican side nationally is is, is insanity. And voters are, are showing us that, um, that they believe the same thing at, at the ballot box, as we saw recently in Ohio. Certainly the way you're talking, and I think based on your career, it would seem this way that you're someone who's a, a pragmatic problem solver. Is that district one that is, it certainly has seemed like this for years, even as there's been some redrawing, obviously, recently. It certainly has seemed to me a district where you have more pragmatism, where you have more people who are willing to say, yeah, I want a good education for my kids. I want them to be safe. 
sure financial considerations come into play as well, but it does seem like there is more pragmatism there. Now that you've been on the trail for a few months, has that rung true? I, I think it has. Yes. I, I do think that to, to your point, I, I think said differently, pragmatism is a good way of putting it. I think the district in general is is, is moderate. You know, it, it leans 2.6% Republican. So we have to build a coalition. We have to grow the tent. We have to be able to appeal to independents and moderate Republicans, which I absolutely can and bring them over and, and win the general election. Um, but I think to your point, people are are practical. You know, you do see the, you know, Trump MAGA trucks driving around, Joe and his hoe gotta go. And, you know, I love having to explain that stuff to my kids. Yeah. Uh, but I think that is the minority uh, within the district. And I think the key here is we have to offer voters a, a viable, you know, alternative to David Schweikert that they feel comfortable making that leap. You know, I think there's been a fear you know, are we going too far to the left? You know, is this somebody who's going to come in and put in taxes on unrealized gains, put in wealth taxes, you know, jack up income tax rates? I'm certainly not a person that's going to do that, you know, and and I have the, you know, again, as you said, professional and, and personal background and roots here in the district that people know that. But I think that's also a critical key here is to talk about why we are the right party to reclaim the American dream for residents of this district, residents of Arizona, and, and for all of Americans, and, and also be you know a, a, a better and good alternative to David Schweikert. And that's what I plan to offer uh, voters this coming November. For years, it was, of course, you're Nancy Pelosi, whoever wins the Democratic nomination. And now that she has taken a backseat a little bit, I guess you're Hakeem Jeffries now, uh, you're Chuck Schumer, whatever. Have I'm you probably seen... AOC. I'm sure they're going to say I'm AOC. <laughs> you know, we're, we're besties. I'm sure that's going to be the case. That'll, absolutely. That'll come soon. So have you gotten a vibe that that is going to be used against whatever Democrat comes out of this district? Um, is that something that you would recommend that Republicans in other states and nationally with independent expenditure groups don't waste their time in this district? I don't I I wouldn't waste their time or money on me trying to to pay me like that. And I think that that's what's going to make, you know, me such a, a difficult opponent for David Schweiker, because I just don't think people are going to buy it. You know, like I said, I, I grew up here. I live here. A lot of people know me here. I, I worked on Wall Street for almost two decades. You know, I think people know that I'm not AOC. And and I think any efforts to try to paint me with the far left wing of the Democratic Party is just not going to work. It's just not reality. Um, and, and I think the the rich irony to this is that David Schweikert, as, as we discussed, we don't have to rehash it, but like he does vote with the extreme MAGA election denialism wing of his party. So so there's there's like I said, there's an irony there because it's like you want to try to put me in a box or put the Democratic nominee in a box. But it's like th he's the guy that needs to finally be exposed for who he really is. And that's what we plan to do. One question about financing. Obviously, you've done well. You haven't been shy about that. But obviously, when it comes to raising money, and I think it probably comes into play, even just a stereotype that Democrats need to need to get more of those $20 donations, $100 donations. Have you hit the ground running on that? Do you feel like uh, the community is growing to know more about you and is more willing to do so, so you're less seen as the self-funded guy? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's funny. I think that's something that my uh, opponents have done is to try to make me the quote unquote self-funding guy which is such a convenient narrative. Uh, however, you know what they don't want you to know is I've only been in the race for one quarter worth of reporting, and I was actually only in for 60 of the 90 days of that quarter. And, and frankly, I trounced them in fundraising. I raised over half a million dollars, and my closest competitor raised $374,000. And that's from, to be very clear, that is from donors. That is from individual donors that we raised that money from. You know, We've continued to raise a substantial amount of money from donors. 
Uh, and we have, to your point, we have grown our small dollar donor base. We have grown our local district small donors, Arizona small donors, all of that. So that has certainly been a focus. And so the, the way I think about fundraising is we are going to continue to fundraise. We've said from the beginning, we think this is a $2 million primary. I think about people who donate to our campaign, they're our investors. And I am also contributing my own money to the race. I got in late. I was four months plus, you know, later than the other candidates. So I want our donors to know and my supporters to know that I am every bit, you know, literally, physically, financially, mentally invested in this race as they are. And we're going to continue to do whatever it takes to make sure that we win this primary in August. Let me ask you at least one foreign policy question. We're seeing a lot of things going on in the Middle East, disturbing what happened on October 7th. But that has also caused some some rifts. We're seeing some maybe strange bedfellows when it comes to support for Israel. How important is that issue going to be in that district for you? Yes, it's many, many miles away from here. And yet, as a congressman, you'd have to deal with that. Yeah. So I think, look, the the what's what's going on overseas is is obviously front of mind for the world. And I, I think it just shows the reason why we need good, practical, intelligent, sensible leaders making these decisions in Washington. You know, you got the war in Ukraine. We we cannot afford to to let that slide. You know, we cannot afford to let Russia, you know, win that war. You know, we have to defend Ukraine. And and when it comes to, you know, the Israel-Hamas war, you know, October 7th was Israel's 9-11. And what's happening in the aftermath, you know, there's a few things. You have all these horrific death toll numbers coming out of Gaza. You know, they're being provided by Hamas. So clearly there are a lot of innocent civilians being killed. Who knows exactly what the numbers really actually are. Um, we need to, and we are as Americans, uh, leaning on Israel and making sure that civilian lives are are protected at all costs and that we try to minimize civilian casualties in that war. Clearly, men, women, children, civilians dying anywhere is is bad. Nobody likes that. Um, and so we we have to we have to push on that. However, you know, bad things happen in wars, right? We had 9/11 here. We went after Osama bin Laden in the Afghan war and and we believe that 10 to 20,000 Afghanis were killed during that war. You know, we had to go find the terrorists and root them out. And, and there's obviously, um, you know, loss of life that happens with that. It's the same thing going on right now for Israel. Israel has to be able to defend itself. Hamas needs to be dismantled. And the most important point here is they still have 120 hostages and six of those are Americans. So I think this like talk about we need a permanent ceasefire, I would love to see a ceasefire. I think the way that happens is, you know, the hostages have to be released. If the hostages aren't released, I think any calls for a permanent ceasefire, you know, I think that's completely unrealistic. Um, you know, I think Hamas needs to be dismantled as well. But look, release the hostages today and let's talk about an extended ceasefire and a transfer of power and all those things. But I think until that happens, you know, we have to stay the course and, and support our allies you know, around the world and, and, and including in Taiwan. One final sort of foreign policy question for you, which ends up on Arizona's doorstep to some extent, and that's the border. Even many Democrats obviously care about the border. Uh, Governor Hobbs acted related to the Lukeville Port of Entry, saying the National Guard there. There's no question the border can get overhyped based on whatever TV network you're watching. And yet it's still a real issue for a lot of people. A couple of priorities you'd have as far as the border goes? Yeah, well, first of all, thankfully, Lukeville's open again. Now, there's, of course, the concern that it's going to be reshut, you know, but that's a, a lot of people don't realize that's a huge economic issue when that when that border crossing is shut. 
So I'm, I'm glad you bring up immigration. As, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I'm an immigrant myself. My wife's an immigrant. You know, both of our families came here to seek better lives and to seek and achieve the American dream. And, and that's something that I think Democrats are well positioned to, to reclaim and give back to future generations. And that's why I'm a Democrat and why I'm running. You know, I think that you 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 alluded to this. So unfortunately, I'm not going to say all, but most Republicans don't have any real interest in fixing the, the crisis at the border. It is better for them to have it be a wedge issue, to have it be a continued problem and something that they can continue to point at and say, hey, look, this is the Democrats. This is Biden. They're dropping the ball. They have an open border policy. Our country is being overrun by illegals and terrorists and all sorts of, of stuff. The reality is this has been a problem across presidential administrations for 20 years. If there was an easy fix to it, it would have been done. The border policies itself, it's not an open border. Nothing has changed in the Biden administration versus the Trump administration other than how things are handled. So, yeah, we're no longer putting people in cages. We're no longer ripping children away from their families. So, sure, maybe people feel like it's a, a more kind environment to attempt to, to come to America. But this notion that there's an open border is insane. To get back to your specific question, you know, just the other day, tried to pass funding for the border to give them an additional, uh, you know, I believe it was $14 billion, you know, and then you have MAGA Mike Johnson saying, well, that's not going to do anything. And it's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, of course it's going to do something. It's like, nope, it's not going to fix the problem. And this is exactly what, what I'm getting at. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be done. We have to work at, you know, stemming the, the flow of migrants at the source, helping to boost up economies in some of these uh, countries that were Frankly, people are extremely impoverished. That's going to take, you know, wide ranging foreign policy. We need to have policies that extend past two year Congresses, extend past four year presidential administrations. You know, we really need to try to help uh, sort of solve the, the flow at, at the source. We need to work with our counterparts in Mexico to better secure the southern Mexican border, which is much narrower than the U.S.-Mexico border. And we also need to work with the Mexican government to to effectively handicap and cut off the cartels at the knees. You know, they're the ones that have made it so efficient. It's like getting an Amazon package in terms of getting people to the border and, and getting people to open places and, and getting them across. So, you know, and, and in taking on the cartels, you're also going to help with the fentanyl crisis and the drug crisis overall in America. So those are some things that I think are a, a priority. Uh, we also need to be just better at processing asylum claims. So we need to have many, many, many more people, judges that can do that and can do it instantaneously and not have people needing to wait for four years to, to get these hearings. But the reality is it's an American problem. It's not a democratic problem. It's not a Republican problem. It's, it's an us problem. Immigration is good. People like immigration. They don't like chaos. They don't like disorder. They don't like dysfunction. The Republicans want to let that reign. And when we take back the House, keep the White House and keep the Senate, we'll finally be able to get things done uh, in terms of comprehensive immigration reform. Why do you think that your victory specifically, not a Democratic victory in CD1, but a victory by you would actually make such a big difference? Oh, I mean, I think it would make a massive difference. So you look at who we have there now, David Schweikert, and, and it doesn't matter what your sort of pet issue or, or pet group is. You know, again, we've talked about it. He votes against veterans. He votes against seniors. He votes against women. He wants to roll back Medicare and Social Security. He talks about being a deficit hawk. And he was one of the people that pushed the hardest for the Trump tax cuts, which disproportionately benefited the wealthy, A, but B, 
cause a big drop in revenues. So, you know, he thinks he's an economic expert. Well, you have revenues on one side and expenses on the other. And the way you fix a budget deficit, scholars will tell you, you know, nonpartisan scholars, you have to increase revenues and decrease expenses. It's usually increasing revenues by about two thirds and decreasing expenses by a third. Schweikert simply does not understand this. I think he's willfully ignorant on it. He pulls out all those bar charts and graphs and grandstands, but he only does that during Democratic administrations, not when Trump was also running up the deficit like a drunken sailor. So I, I think, you know, from an economic perspective, if that's what people want here in CD1, I'm definitely the right choice. And I just think having somebody who wants the government to, to literally work and function, you know, to not be shut down and wants to actually make progress on things like, look, I'm a solid moderate. I think we can sit down and have a conversation about 10 different issues. I could reach across the aisle. Sure, there's going to be some things we don't agree on, obviously, but there's probably six or seven things that we do agree on. So it's like, let's work towards getting those things done and making the country a little bit better you know, each day, each week, each month as we go. That's what used to happen. I was born in the Reagan era and I would say Reagan through Obama, you know, people bickered, people had disagreements. There were big issues and, and big fights that would go on, but people would reach across the aisle and do what they could to make America a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And what Trump and, 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 and his administration was able to do in four years to just really tear at the fabric of all of that, we need to get back to that. And we are absolutely kidding ourselves if we think that David Schweikert is the right person to, to do that. And I'll go one step further to say, you know, in this race, I think there's there's four serious candidates. You know, you have myself and then you have two former Republicans. You have somebody who was a Republican until 2016 in two different states. And you have somebody who was a Republican until 2018. And so the question I would ask is if Hillary Clinton had gotten elected president in 2016, they're probably still Republicans. So it was only Trump's craziness that made them become Democrats. And so now all of a sudden it's like, congratulations, you got off your crazy train, but that doesn't mean we need to give up the conductor seat on ours. And so, you know, you, you have those two, and then you have another candidate who's run for office three times, never come close to winning despite being the highest fundraiser in all those races, co-founded the No Labels Party. And so we need to put up somebody that can win. And I'm a person, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I have long held progressive values. I'm from here, I live here, I can flip this seat and we will be light years better off with me in Congress than we are with David Schweikert. How nervous are you about the top of the ticket? If you are the Democratic nominee, no question the Biden administration's accomplished a lot of things, even as conservatives and Republicans say it hasn't, but there is a concern about him specifically, not his policies as much, but him specifically. Listen, I think you you said, you know, you said it well. I think Biden has had a, a really good presidential administration. I think they sort of have a PR and marketing problem, and his age certainly doesn't help. Um, so yeah, you do have a lot of chatter about Biden. I, I think the reality is here in Arizona in particular, assuming that it is Biden against Trump, I think you're gonna have a lot of people, certainly in CD1, but I think across the state, that are gonna come out and and vote D fairly far down the ticket, if not all the way down the ticket. Uh, for, for two main reasons. I, I think first and foremost, it's going to be the abortion access amendment. So that is going to have people come out in droves to vote for that. You saw in Ohio, I think it was 57-43 that that passed. I wouldn't be shocked to see similar numbers here. That's something that should benefit, you know, top of the ticket on down uh, on the D side. And I think people are going to come out and vote against Trump. And I think they're going to come out and vote against Harry Lake, presumably. And I think they're going to come out and vote against David Schweikert. I think, again, even the moderate Republicans, they're done with the MAGA movement. And I think there's a recognition there that we need to move away from that, you know, kind of get back to something common sense and moderate that works. 
And so do, do I have concerns at, at the top of the ticket? Not really. I think at the end of the day, the voters usually get it right. You know, they, they didn't get it right in 2016, but for the most part, the voters pull through. I have faith in the voters, particularly here in CD1, and, and I think we're going to get it done top to bottom uh, come November. Okay. Conor O'Callaghan, Democratic candidate in CD1, also the highest fundraiser of those who are running for that Democratic nomination. Connor, thanks. Good to talk with you again. Thanks so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. That brings this edition of AZ Politicast to a close. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks very much again to Connor O'Callaghan for joining us to talk about his attempts to win CD1 on the Democratic side to face incumbent Congressman David Schweikert. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email me at pivotalvoice at outlook.com. That's pivotalvoice at outlook.com. Music for this podcast provided by Epidemic Sound. I'm Steve Goldstein. Thanks for listening.